From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we talk about Ramp rises $300 million and makes their first acquisition. Revolut launches their payday salary advance feature. And uh, we speak to the founder of Nerve, the world's first neobank created for musicians. All this and much, much more on today's show. Uh, but before we get into it, we wanted to tell you about something we've been cooking up at 11FS. And a quick word from our sponsors. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost income ratios, which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. Introducing the Truly Digital Manifesto. If you're not truly digital already, well, you're missing out on a massive opportunity. Faster processes, more customer value, and higher revenues. It's not the future. It's already happening. So how do you measure up? Head over to trulydigital.11fs.com to see what it really means to be truly digital. Welcome to episode 558 of Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined by my new 11FS colleague making his Fintech Insider debut, Pierre Legrand, the consultancy partner at 11FS. How are you doing today, Pierre? David, doing great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to a great conversation today. Should be a good one. We've got some great guests. I mean, what have you been up to this week? It's what, week, week two, two and a half that yeah, you're going it's through about, now? It's about two and just over two and a half. Um, very busy week, doing a lot of great work with our customers. So um, continuing on and looking forward to week three plus. Very good. It feels like you've already been here for months. But uh, anyway, this is not about us. Of course, we're not alone. We're joined by some super duper awesome guests making a welcome return. We have John Wasp, who is the CEO and founder of Nerve. Thank you very much for joining us today, John. How are you doing? Hey, thank you. I'm doing great. It's a wonderful day. It, well, it might be a wonderful day where you are in London. It's pretty grim, I'll be honest with you. It's, uh, it's cold and hot and then cold and hot. We've got no idea what's going on. But uh, where in the world are you, John? I'm in Austin, Texas. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place and the sun is shining. Things are great. Well, I mean, as a friend of mine, Bo Hartman, says, it's, it's never not sunny in, in Austin, Texas. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, enjoying John and making his FinTech Insider debut, we have Colin Kennedy, who is the Chief Business Officer at Ramp. How are you doing? Welcome to FinTech Insider, Colin. I am doing well. It's funny to hear that we both have fri- are both are friends with uh, Bo Hartman. He said the same thing to me about Austin, Texas. I'll give a there shout out go. to him as well. See, Bo, Bo's only got one story, it turns out. I know he listens to this. Like, but Bo, work, work on some more stories. Like, uh, he's got a bit he more time in his well. hand. No, he tells it well. <laughs> he does, he does. Uh, been, a, been a pretty huge week for you guys at Ramp. Um, we'll definitely sort of foreshadowing what we'll get into very shortly, but uh, excited to have you guys onto the show to talk about it as well. Appreciate you having us. Looking forward to talking about it. All right. Well, I mean, speak of the devil and our very first story of the show uh, covered pretty much everywhere this week. Ramp raises $300 million and acquires Buyer to offer negotiation as a service. Uh, so Ramp, the first corporate car designed to help businesses spend less, announced a $300 million Series C venture funding at a $3.9 billion valuation. Ramp has raised over $625 million to date in a mix of equity and debt financing. Uh, Ramp intends to 
use the new financing to accelerate development of its finance automation platform designed to help businesses save time and money. I mean, if only we had somebody to talk about this on the show this week, really. You know, if only there was somebody we could throw it. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, congratulations both on the raise and the acquisition. Tell us a little bit more about broadly what you you guys plan to do with it. I mean, that is a, that's a big valuation, but also a lot of capital that you've raised as well. Um, where is this money going to go to? Yeah. So th- thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having us. Uh, for us, it really comes down to how can we much do more to add even more value to our customers. So we look we look at the raise as simply a way for us to have uh, more assets, more capital that we can deploy to try to further a lot of the value that we're adding to users so far. So what does that mean? Very specifically, so you referenced uh, one area where we've started to deploy capital. That's the acquisition of buyer, which for us is really focusing on that core value prop of your corporation, you looking to save, saving matters to all of us. We're trying to develop additional solutions to help companies save more effectively and save more. Um, it's part of the ramp value prop from day one. It's part of what's really resonated. It's incredibly important to us as we're lucky to grow from all the great customers we have that we stay true to that value prop. And that means investing more resources to really help companies see here's where they're spending, where they could be spending a lot less. Here are insights they can action, deploying the buyer team, which is the, the best team we saw out on the market to the benefit of, of even more users. So that's one area. Uh, the second is part of the reason a few of us came over to Ramp, and I think what continues to come up as we talk to our customers is this phenomenally easy, elegant user experience. And really the, the first time you have this corporate expense management solution where you can onboard thousands, hundreds uh, of employees in minutes, in under an hour, have your whole organization set up. That comes from having uh, a phenomenal product and engineering team. And we're going to continue to use these resources, use that capital to build that team up uh, even more effectively. So those are two areas. There's a few other things that, that we'll go into, such as broadening our feature sets. And again, this is all about when you have great customers and you're growing, you better be listening to them. It's one thing we're continuing to, to do uh, very, very heavily here. So more of our time this week is always is spent listening to customers versus uh, checking anything having to do with our valuation or, or our fundraising. Um, and it really comes back to uh, some core things like helping them pay bills more effectively. So we've launched our, our bill pay solution, really tied to corporate expense management, natural adjacency, ridiculous pain point for lots of companies, and just trying to focus more effectively on, on building that out. So those are some of the areas where we'll be uh, deploying some of the capital. It's fascinating. I mean, anybody who's built a business of any size, you recognize all of those problems you've just been pointing to. You know, at different sizes of your organization, you're like, how the hell do you give people access to actually make transactions and run our business without giving everybody the entirety of the access of your bank account in terms of making those things happen, you know? And in many organizations, like you say, it's um, or in many banking setups, it's an all or none, right? It's like, I give you access to my bank or I don't. And that's not helpful when you're trying to give people controls and frameworks around those things. I really liked, um, read um, Eric Glimman's uh, blog that he put out around it, you know, control, spend, benchmark, save, close. Like, that reads very much to, we're big fans of Jobs to be Done at 11FS, but that reads very much to me like somebody who's spent a bit of time to really understand, as you say, the the real realities of what consumers are doing and what their needs are in this space. And those jobs and focusing on those jobs, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of opportunity in that space, isn't there? There's a ton of opportunity. And uh, you describe Ramp so well, we, we should we should be taking notes from from, from you. So thank, thank you for, for, for the descriptions. Eric will be very happy to, to, to hear that hear that as well. And it really gets to what our core values are at, at Ramp. And that is very much around some of the areas that, that you reference, such as driving savings, putting in these controls, but doing it in a way where uh, 
it's so possible now with a great technology team, with great software to really A, help finance teams deal with all the tough stuff they're doing, closing books. Companies who are closing their books at the end of, at the end of each month with Ramp are doing it 80 plus percent, 86% faster. Giving some bottom line savings. Cash back rewards are great. It's part of what we offer, but really companies should be able to save a lot more. So we're, we're now averaging companies saving 3.3% uh, on Ramp. All of that is fantastic. It's necessary when you're running a business, but the experience for the, 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 the employee using the card should be fantastic as well. You should have a card that's, that you can use where, where and when you want to. You should not have to fill out your expense report in a separate system. That expense report is such an artifact that none of us love. I can think of the, 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 the scores of hours I've spent going crazy filling those out. With Ramp, you don't need to do that. The, the expense report, the information from your expenses automatically goes into the system and the need to create an expense report is, is removed. Those are the types of things we want to spend a lot more resources on so we can help companies with savings, with control and that, that satisfaction so they can focus on the other areas they want to focus on. Yeah. And just a, just a highlight as well, and I know this isn't why you started the business, but 3.9 billion valuation and you guys have only been trading for what, in business for 890 days. Uh, exactly. That's crazy. So, I mean, it just shows, I, and again, just to reinforce, it's like, I know that wasn't why you started the business, Colin, like in terms of everybody getting together and making, you know, this, this happen. But it just shows when you find a, a problem and solve a problem, like, uh, you know, amazing things happen, right? It's, it's, it's exciting. And it, it, it's really, I give Eric and Kareem, um, our co-founders, a ton of credit for very early on taking what they had done at Paribus, a company that the Capital One acquired that was really uh, focused on helping consumers save money. I remember seeing the company when I was at American Express um, in American Express's corporate car group. And being really excited about the product offering and getting to know them over time, uh, combining what they have seen at Paribus, at Capital One, elsewhere with what some of us have done at other places and applying this now to small businesses. Um, I've also owned and, and managed a small business, can relate to uh, some of the pain you go through and the need, the desire to focus on the core pieces and kind of that frustration when you're using these older solutions that are uh don't offer you the same software capabilities that a company like Ramp offers. So we're, we're, we really want to stay close to those value props. Well, congratulations again. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, we've we've had a few different organizations on who, you know, a big part of what the, uh, the rounds have led to, you know, and we've seen a lot of this almost the consolidation that we're sort of seeing in terms of the investment going, not just for growth for your business, but growth for and by acquiring other businesses that actually, you know, this was on the roadmap. You know, we've seen it with Solaris Bank. We've seen it with Starling Bank. We've seen it with lots of different sort of players in the market. But that sort of, uh, you know, rebundling of, of where we're going in a, in a sense is, is, is really interesting to see in the market. Um, John, what, what do you think? It, it, this is a, not only a, a big raise, but uh, again, the just the shift velocity of actually uh, getting something to market and the the impact that it can have is um, pretty significant. What do you think? Oh, I'm just blown away, actually, to be honest, that uh, your product is incredible. I've, uh, you know, been watching the story and, um, and it, you know, it makes a lot of sense that the pain points you guys are solving is uh, they're all real and, you know, the time has come for it. So uh, incredible work, guys. Very good. What, what do you think, Pierre? It's, uh, I mean, the SME space, there's a billion different problems. This is definitely kind of a hot topic. And, uh, you know, I know with a lot of people we talk to, the SME space is super hot, both in the US and uh, much further afield as that as well. But um, uh, this is a good solution that fits that market. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, I think, Colin, one of the points that you made out is 
the the I guess the efficiency that the finance teams are going to be operating in and, and those SMEs, they're going to get an opportunity to divert that capacity onto helping around the growth of the business as opposed to kind of the more you know day-to-day mundane tasks of processing this stuff. So where that can be automated, I think there's an opportunity that focuses on, you know, what are the growth questions that finance teams strategically need to answer? And, you know, if you think about some of the challenges is that there's not enough of that strategic capacity that's placed um, when there's a lot of administration tasks to deal with. So I'm very excited to see where the product can go um, with these type of acquisitions. And I think, you know, that will really, really boost where you guys are going in the future. Really appreciate that. I think that's a great uh, a great way to frame it. I mean, having worked in a bunch of consultancies and spent probably consolidated a couple of months of my life filling out bloody expenses reports. Like, I'll be honest, if you guys could have done this like five years ago, you would have saved me maybe like a couple of weeks of my life. So, uh, but uh, but anyway, better better late than never. You know, the market clearly. You, you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. Negotiation as a service, though, is, uh, is also just absolutely incredible. Like, I was so... <laughs> What an awesome acquisition for you guys. That's uh, that's something else. Thank you. I, I've been learning a lot just talking to them across the last few weeks. I, I thought I knew what I was doing in that space until I saw the buyer team in action. And it's uh, it's pretty cool to see how they help companies and, and what they're able to do. Very good. All right, we uh, we better move on. We could probably talk about this one for the for the rest of the show. And actually, uh, you know, uh, I know with um, work that we've done in in the past, and actually podcasts that we've done in the past in the in the SME space, there's just so many different layers of this. I, I can't imagine, Colin, it'll be the last uh, thing that we uh, we talk about in uh, in the sense of the things that you're doing, particularly with the the ability to uh, to invest and accelerate it. But we better move on anyway. So uh, the next story that was up was one that was over on TechCrunch, which was Revolut introduces salary advance feature in. In the UK. Uh, this is something, I guess this type of feature is something that's probably a little bit more akin to some of the startups that we've actually seen over in the US. So you guys are going to have a, a good uh, vantage point on this one in terms of its relevancy to the market. But Revolut has, has launched a new feature called Payday, which is an alternative to a credit card or, or debit card in terms of short-term credit and lets you unlock a portion of your wage early uh, at a date and time of your picking. Revolut has a plug in to allow employers' payroll systems first so the company knows how much employees are earning at any point in time. If a business decides to integrate with Revolut, users can then access this feature directly. Uh, right now, the feature is limited to businesses based in the UK, but the company plans to launch it in EEA uh, as well as the US soon. Um, I guess this is an interesting one, and, and maybe sort of coming to you, uh, John, on this. We've seen quite a few people in the US do you know, a, a payment a few days early and trying to kind of almost get over the hurdles of non-real-time payments in, in the US market. But I guess this is one of the first ones where we've started to see people really starting to integrate into uh, businesses' systems in terms of you know really getting to grips with the data on the other side of it, rather than just doing it as a almost a risk-based thing, you know, almost like an affordability checker in the way that somebody like uh, a Chime has been doing these types of things in the past. What do, what do you think about this? I, uh, well, first of all, I mean, you know, you, you always have to applaud the team at Revolut. You know, they do some they do some really interesting stuff. That that being said, I mean, this is not necessarily new. You know, I, I mean, granted the two days early chime thing, but but the actual hey, you earned this by working this, so now get that money today. I want to say we saw it at Finnovate probably 2015, and so there have been a few uh, startups as well as I know companies that are that are still around today. Um, I want to say, I want to say the, the, I can't remember the original name of one of them, but I, I think their current name is like Earnin or something like that. It's a, uh, you know, they've been around for quite some time. The, the idea of actually partnering up with a, a payroll company like Paychex 
uh, or some, some, you know, some large provider would be the, I think probably the dream, but also just goodness gracious. I, I couldn't even imagine dealing with, uh, no offense to the guys at paychecks, but if you've ever been on the other end of that, uh, it's a nightmarish quagmire of data. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, patching into that has to be, has to be somewhat challenging. So good luck to the guys at Revolut for making that happen if they can. But, you know, while it's not wholly a, a new idea, in, at least here uh, in the States, it is something that isn't necessarily broadly available, and it is something that should be broadly available. I mean, you know, we've seen kind of pockets of it. I, I seem to remember there being starts and stops, like for Walmart employees uh, in, in particular. I feel like there was a deal done with Walmart or, or Sam's um, years ago, but uh, bringing it to the masses, I think, is, uh, would be really, really interesting and, and certainly, in my opinion, supersedes a two-day advanced product, which pretty much anybody can offer today. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That that integration into systems bit is where I guess they sort of de-risk it to a certain degree in terms of, because like you say, two days is, is one thing, but, you know, theoretically being able to withdraw up to 50% of what they've earned, uh, they've actually earned in that month in advance is interesting. I guess, um, you know, the the sort of prevalence in the the rise of, you know, more gig economy, gig workers, and actually the the need to, you know, be paid immediately or what the want to be paid immediately of the the work that you're doing. Obviously, we've seen this with people like Uber, haven't they, paying out immediately off the back of, uh, of rides being completed. And I think Deliveroo have done something a little bit similar, but maybe this is the, the way to sort of take it to mass market. It's interesting, that trade-off, isn't it? I mean, I've, uh, we've seen... Uh, uh, I've seen very, very many psychological experiments on kids. Like uh, you can have one sweet now or two sweets later, and it's like it's going to be fascinating to see who keeps going for the one sweet now, isn't it? It's uh, it's always my kids going for the one sweet now. So say, do the two sweets later. Everyone knows you're smarter and you're going to have more success if you do the two sweets later. Patience is a virtue, isn't it? It really is. But, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think? There's a, again, this is you know a, a, another slice from an SME perspective in terms of actually what uh, services that can be offered to SMEs potentially, but this seems like it's they're aiming at retail mass market as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and having that flexibility within the, the ecosystem of your experience, right? So this has been there before, but now it's in there within a complete digital life cycle of your banking relationship with, let's say, with Revolut, I find interesting. But the other point that I, I find even more fascinating is to think about that integration with those payroll companies, right? And John, you had talked about it, but imagine now a mortgage application process where you don't need to send pay slips in, right? Because they have access to that information. So it, it may it it starts to open the door to say, well, what else can you do with that? Where does it implicate you in that journey? What other product and services can some of these banking and service providers offer? So I think it's very fascinating about where this can go. It's a slippery slope, Pierre. <laughs> That's a slippery slope. Do I want my uh, uh, potential lender to know that I had to take a paycheck early? Yeah. a couple of times. Absolutely. Uh, you know, how much data are they going to have access to? Uh, based on that. And, and, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's this uh, question, I think that probably pops into people's mind, which is, you know, who is this really for? Is this for, you know, if I, if I very rarely run into money issues, then maybe this is the last thing I'm going to think about signing up for. Because I'm going to be like, well, do I really, you know, I do okay on my managing my money and uh, do I really need Revolut to, for this? I'm just going to stay with Chase or, or whatever. If I run into money crunches a lot, 
then it sounds like this is going to be something that will be attractive to me. And so now I'm going to move from Chase to, to Revolut. Now, of course, there's the risk issue that immediately comes to mind. Then who are we attracting from Revolut's perspective? When you look at the providers who currently offer this in the States, they, 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 they cap the amount that you can get up to like $500 or $1,000 or a couple thousand or whatever. Uh, I didn't read anything about that on the Revolut side, but, but I guess my, my point is, you know, there, there is this uh, uh, question as to, from a marketing perspective, who, who are you really attracting with this product? And, you know, you hope that you attract people who are good for it. And, and who are going to be regular, you know, uh, uh, who just happen to fall on, on bad times. But there's kind of the flip side, which is there might be a stigma affiliate associated with that as well. Mm. I mean, it's interesting whether it gives people, and, and they're sort of quick to point out, Revolut, that it's, this isn't debt. Like they're not setting up like a debt thing. But then if it, if it's not debt and where does it sit? It's I, I, I really I love the I love the idea of it because essentially, you know, Colin, going back to some of the things that we were discussing about businesses, this is allowing cash flow smoothing to that has obviously been a you know a corporate uh, product, a corporate thinking mentality to to make it into you know your personal finance. So running yourself as a as a business essentially in terms of cash flow smoothing, cash flow forecasts, and you know is this is this invoice financing for individuals? Is that maybe the thing that we should think about it? It's a cool idea. I, I mean, I think that's 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 definitely the right way to think about. It. The question is how how is the market going to perceive it? And, uh, and, and so, you know, you're right. It's not debt. Like I earned today, right. I, I work through today. And so that's my money that should be in my, in my account. But, you know, I think, I, I think there's just, there, there's always going to not always, but, but at least here in the States, we, 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 uh, we have a, um, there's probably some stigma around, around, you know, why are you asking for money again? Wait, you need, why, wait, why did you do that? You know, it's like, well, because I earned it. That's my money. I need to pay bills. And, and you know, I mean, you don't want to hit be hit with an overdraft fee, uh, uh, you know, $30 when you actually have money sitting there that hasn't been unlocked yet. So uh, so the use case is clear. Yep. So if we if the thing I think about, folks, I'm a, a glass half full person, right, which is to say. I'm getting tools that allows that that is allowing me to manage my finances better. If there are incremental tools to that that allow me to draw on certain services or access my funds earlier, that could help me in specific times. If I know I'm going on a holiday and I need access to those funds early or there's a specific large purchase that needs to be done. So if we assume a world where the folks like Revolut and your aggregators are providing you a lot more flexibility in terms of viewing your finances, then for me, this is a natural flow on of being able to manage your money, as you say, David, like a business. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Colin, any any closing words on this? We'll give you the give you the final words of the half before we uh, we go for a break. But uh, what what do you think on this one? I think in this one, it's it's the area where it's most critical to keep going back and hearing what your customers are saying, and it's an area where where it's really a time for small, medium sized businesses in particular to get some of the better tools that larger enterprises haven't been benefiting from for a while. There's just no reason in this year and this time for that not to be happening. So we're excited to really be digging much more uh, much more into that. Mm. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, I really want to stand back from this one when they get to the point where they're like, and this is how much it costs. And actually the the trade-off for individuals where they go, shall I just wait? 
shall I take it now? Is it a credit card thing I can do? Is it? A, and again, customer choice, customer options. That's always a good thing to have, isn't it? Uh, and on that note, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break. We'll be back very shortly. There is a better way to hire internationally, and it starts with deal. Everything from contract creation, record keeping, payments, and full-time employment is all in one place for teams all over the world. Companies anywhere can hire compliantly everywhere thanks to Deal. It's payroll and compliance built for today's worldwide workforce. To learn more, visit letsdeal forward slash 11FS. That's letsdeal, D-E-E-L, dot com forward slash 11fs and redeem an exclusive offer of three months free when you hire a contractor and 20% for your first year when you hire an employee. The banking industry has lots of baggage. So, well, we've been thinking, what if you could build a bank from scratch? Join us and some very special guests as we hit a reset button. Our latest After Dark virtual live podcast recording takes place on Wednesday, the 15th of September. Head to bit.ly forward slash fi after dark. That's bit.ly forward slash fi after dark. To sign up now, you definitely won't want to miss this one. Okay, dokie, let's get on with the second part of the show then. And the next story was uh, one that came up on Yahoo Finance. This is Nerve, the world's first neobank created for musicians has been launched. So Nerve's mission is to help musicians of all types create sustainable businesses. Nerve offers a multitude of customized tools to help English and Spanish-speaking musicians manage their finances and plan for the future. Services include FDIC-insured business debit and savings accounts to help musicians separate their business and personal financial lives life in partnership with Piermont Bank. Again, if I only had somebody on the show who could talk about this one in a lot more detail and really explain to us why this is, like, John... <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Put me in, coach. You've got this Put one. Like, high five and you're in. Like, John, I didn't know. Like, I know you from all of your fintech and banking stuff. I didn't know you you run two music labels as well. Tell us a little bit about that before you dive into to kind of what you're doing, because obviously you've been researching clearly the problem that people have, have had for a while. But tell us about the music labels. Sure. So Preservation Project is a label that I created um, and now run with a uh, with a partner of mine. The whole point of it came from, I was a DJ back in, in college in Chicago and, uh, and a really terrible one. I, I couldn't, I thought I could pay the bills with it. I just couldn't. But it, I, I, you know, I instantly fell in love with records and spinning really rare funk and soul music was, was what I, I just had this passion for. And I, I became obsessed with this idea of like, you know, this guy, Mickey, for instance, who is this, this, this writer or this musician had, uh, had only, you know, sold four copies of this 45 <laughs> and, and the poor guy died, you know, thinking nobody liked his music, but I'm about to put it on the dance floor and 400 people will go crazy. And what if that guy were to walk in right now and see that? And so that thought still gives me chills to this day. And, and what, what I became obsessed with was what about those musicians who recorded music, but the music was never released and the musicians were lost to time. Like they never got a deal. They never, they just dissipated into the ethos. And so, so the idea was, uh, was, you know, I'm going to start collecting acetates and reel to reels of recorded music that was never released by musicians who seemingly never, never made it. And, um, uh, so I started collecting them over the last 30 years or so. And in about 2015, I launched Preservation Project, which is just a, it's a small record label, but it's got a nice global following. And, um, and it specifically is releasing that material 
on vinyl. Um, uh, we reserve the money for the artists when they come forward and raise their hand and go, hey, that was me. Uh, but but it's kind of our last ditch attempt. We, we spend a lot of time researching and trying to find these artists and we can't find them, but the music's too good. We, uh, we release it and, uh, <laughs> and it's fun. We've actually been able to reunite a few of these artists and songwriters with their lost uh, gems. And, um, and it's been really, really special. And so that's just been a hobby. Uh, but out of that, you know, I'd say around 2017, I started getting sort of hate DMs on Instagram from people in Norway and all these countries around the world, you know, obviously we're, we're here in Austin. Uh, and, and they say, you know, I really love your music, but it costs $30 to ship a seven inch to Norway. I'm like, I, I don't control shipping costs, bro. You know, don't live in Norway. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, Hey, have you ever been to Norway? That's a, it's a pretty place. That didn't fuel any further arguments, did it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Contain that anger. <laughs> no, so, but, uh, but what, 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 uh, really what they were saying is, you know, just put on Spotify. If you put the music on Spotify, then I can listen to it easily. And, and even then in 2017, it didn't take much more than a quick Google search to learn that if I put this content on Spotify or Apple Music or any of the other DSPs, I might be doing myself a service by, getting rid of the headache of the bad DMs, but I, I would be doing nothing for these artists, they, they, these unknown artists who I feel very protective of and their families. So uh, um, from a financial standpoint, so that's whenever I tap my buddy who we've been building stuff in FinTech for the last couple of decades and, uh, and said, Hey, you know, let's build a, a streaming service, audio and video streaming service. That's like a subscription service that, that is actually, one built for people who love music and 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 flips the the paradigm of how the artist gets paid on their head so they actually make something that looks more like SaaS, you know monthly recurring revenue and uh, uh allows them to create sustainable careers so that's called nerve fm and we we launched that thing right right before uh, i'd say it was like february of 2020 and um and we were having you know, uh, 10 or 15 talks a day with, with musicians around the world. And, and they were telling us, wow, this is a really cool product. It's really neat. Thank you for letting me make more money. Um, uh, but did you say that you were in banking? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I like, mentioned it for a minute. Every single one of them said, could you build me a bank? And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, at some point, obviously the product mind kicks in and you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, because I've been in FinTech, you know, since 2005 or so. And, and I, I, I pride myself on knowing a lot about what happens in the industry. So, you know, tell me what the problem is that you as a musician are having, and I will solve it for you. I will point you in the right direction of what company <laughs> has that problem, because there's a billion of them out there. And, uh, uh, and what we found was, yeah, nobody's, nobody's solving that problem. And, 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 you know, there are problems. And, and, and to be honest, um, you know, it just, it, it felt like uh, there wasn't anybody better to, to do it. So, so that's why, that's why we, uh, you know, we built this thing and, you know, the first, uh, first step of it, we, we launched on the 15th of September. We're very excited. Fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Like you say, when uh, your um, younger dream turns into, uh, you know, the potential to, to build a whole business around supporting those families and supporting those things, it's just, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it's, um, it's one of those ones, I know, um, uh, our friend Sam Mall will always say uh, there's there's numbers in the niches. I think he says niches because he's from Detroit. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but like the you know the the, the niche 
focus uh, of this. I mean, obviously, it's a very big niche if you can actually really make that connection. But again, communities are what these things are really built around. You know, banking was a community thing back in the day. And actually, the more closer, again, it feels very reminiscent of what we were talking about earlier on, Colin, around, look, if you truly understand your customers and you truly build something that solves a, a real problem for them, then actually, the take up of that will be really significant on the other side of that, right? Could not agree more. And uh, the customer, what's great about customers is they will tell you when you miss the mark, and you will be able to adjust. At the same time, they will they will tell you and reward you when when you do deliver. So it, it's I know we keep going back to that theme. It's just when we're in a day where we're talking about new product releases and fundraising and this exciting stuff. Um, I think it's just critical for all of us to keep going back to where we're here for this one reason. It's to serve these customers who are, who are good enough to keep working with us. And we were, I think we're all talking about different ways to add more and more value and how to really get that feedback, action it. And one of the underlying themes that's also jumping to me as I, as I hear some of the, the discussion is just, we all see and have been so close so long to these different tools that are out there that we know that can make lives easier for small businesses and for consumers. And to now start to apply this technology in, in different ways, whether it's what we were talking about with Revolut or what we're talking about here with music, um, is, is kind of cool. It's cool to be to be a part of that discussion. It's interesting, isn't it? If you um, to exactly that point, and we've seen this globally with with different players, you know, Monzo and different players uh, across the world. When you build a proposition around a community, and you're really genuinely adding value to that community and the thing that you're doing, like inevitably at some point you're going to get it wrong, right? Like you know, we can all like I pre- I do a really good job on uh, most of the time pretending that I'm perfect and it's fine, but I'm not. I get stuff wrong all the time, and so do organizations, right? So. So being in a situation where you know at some point some, something's going to go wrong, there'll be an outage, there'll be something. If you've built it around a community that you've added so much value to, the dynamic of that shifts so dramatically. And actually, I really think, you know, this is the move away from, you know, uh, from a U.S. perspective. Actually, a, a bank that operates in every state with a, you know, a generic offering that, you know, one size fits nobody from the thing that it's trying to do to really hyper-specific organizations that are built around communities that is helping building the product for you and with you as well. Like it, it just makes sense. And that almost feels like big organizations, John, just kind of can't compete with that at that stage, right? Yeah, David, I, I you know, I, thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like, um, I feel like the risk, you know, it's it's funny every once in a while, you, you know, especially, you know, me as I'm talking to investors and such, some of them will say, well, goodness, isn't that so niche to use your version of that word? We, <laughs> I say the risk is not being niche enough. You know, when, when back on Colin's point regarding what are your customers saying, uh, if, if your customers are everyone, then your customers are saying everything. <laughs> and building everything for everyone uh, is just a fool's errand, right? And um, and so you know, the, there's a the, you know, presuming that the that the community resonates, to use a music word, uh, uh, around you know the uh, thinking and the you know the so so for instance, I I want to say like you know it was last week's show where Sam uh, Sam and you guys were talking about you know, green, you've got this segment of, of green and climate uh, sort of oriented neobanks out there with aspiration over here and current and good money and Starling even has some stuff with that. And, and then there's, you know, small business focus, which maybe we're in there uh, freelance, you know, with Lilly and gig economy and Mercury has that neobank for startups, which has a really cool sort of uh, investor network that they offer. Um, and then you've got Black, Latino, Asian, Muslim, uh, uh, you know, 
institutions or neobanks that are really focused on the various uh, uh, needs of those communities. Of course, you got kids and teens, LGBTQ. I mean, you can keep going, right? And this new wave of these of these neobanks and uh, and challengers that are that are really focusing on what is effectively, to your point at the start of this, just community banking 2.0. It's the, it's it's hey, as community banks, we or, or credit unions even, uh, you know, we used to be focused on really interesting segments that where we understood the needs of those individuals, whether we were in a in ag, an agricultural centric place, and I understood how to lend and give a silo loan to a farmer, or I was uh, a part of Motorola Credit Union, and I understood the needs of the people who who work there. The uh, you know those that segmentation or, or or those communities, I feel like banking really got far away from under the the guise of just trying to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, as opposed to you know what are the problems we we actually need to solve for for people. For humans, and uh, and you know, in their businesses or, or 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 for their daily lives, and so yeah, it's it's super exciting to be part of that. It's um it's interesting. We often say uh, you know try and find a group of people who are you know overcharged or underserved, and actually it turns out that's everybody, <laughs> uh, and that's fascinating, right? Because essentially you're in a situation where you you've got those niches to then pick off. And do interesting things with, but uh, John, congratulations on that. I think it's a uh, it's an amazing thing. You'll have to come back and talk about Thank it more you. as it uh, as it progresses. And now I really want to kind of figure out a way we can come to uh, meet up in Chicago, and you can kind of uh, like you fun. can take us to somewhere. Like, you've got to do that. Absolutely. Point. All right, we're we're gonna have to move on though. Um, so the next story that we had was one that was over on Finextra, which was World Remit rebrands to Zeps. I reckon that's how I'm saying it, uh, and raises 292 million in the process. So UK-based cross-border mobile payments firm World Remit has raised 292 million in primary financing at a 5 billion valuation and changed its name to Zeps. The fresh finance comes ahead of a potential initial public offering uh, that could be as soon as 2022. Zeps is a digital cross-border payments platform with more than 11 million users in its two brands, World Remit and Sendwave. Uh, the holding company is being rebranded to Zeps after it expanded beyond its core World Remit business and acquired African-focused remittance app Sendwave in August of last year. Uh, they're retaining both the Sendwave and World Remit brands under this newly formed uh, parent company. Uh, it's super interesting, right? A- again, part of the strategy for growth is in is inorganic. You know, being in a situation where you can go geographically expanding by buying into to other entities. Again, Solaris Bank, uh, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, using their investment to invest into a platform in the UK to extend their their reach. It just makes a great deal of sense, doesn't it? Um, and it, almost the uh, the organizations are looking to to get to a great scale before then consolidating and IPOing. So uh, it feels like a, a really there's so much consistency in what we're seeing in the market right now. It, it can't be a uh, an accident, Pierre. This is uh, you know how many times do you have to see it to it to be a, a trend? <laughs> well, I, I, it sounds like quite a few times, but it is a trend, and we're seeing it, and this is what's happening. And when you look at what's the importance back to, I think, Colin, you've been pointing out. You get back to what the consumer needs, and they need a capability, especially in today's environment, to be able to transact those payments um, in different markets, right? And if we look at some of those markets that where financial inclusion is going to be really important, and the ability to process those payments, I think that growth rate and that that those trends that we're seeing 
for to getting into those markets are going to be really critical. So I think, David, it's just where it's going. It, it's what the consumers are looking for. And I think that's what we're seeing the market respond to. Mm. I mean, it's fascinating to see more and more organizations getting ready to IPO as well, right? It feels like the um, – I know uh, there's been – Almost uh, every uh, few few months, there's like, yeah, but all these organizations have not done this or that or whatever. And now we're seeing more and more organizations, you know, IPO and become almost the the this generation's version of the the big organizations that everybody's seen. But uh, John, what do you what do you make of this one? I uh, to be to be honest, like this is one part of the one segment that of uh, of fintech that I. I I just feel has so many players and, and to, to put it all together, like I, I'm, I'm, I struggled to actually really make sense of it, to be honest. I mean, I understand the need, I get it. Um, but I, I have to just say, uh, I'm going to let you guys decide who, how this is going to play out. <laughs> it's, it's one that of course, you know, I understand the need to send money to 130 countries. I get it. And I get the need to, you know, to have access in that way or 150 countries, I guess is what they're saying. But, um, Holy cow, uh, there are so many players in this space. I mean, it's- There is. Again, choice in the market is always an interesting thing, isn't it, in terms of sort of driving down the yeah. the unit economics of it. But players like why Maybe that's the need of the, the brand. Maybe that's the reason they changed the brand name is, uh, I mean, World Remit to me, I mean, obviously it had some, it, it clearly had had cachet, but but uh, maybe the idea was just um, something that uh, that's more understandable to the average human. Uh, and, and, and for that, you just create a, a, a name around it. Who the hell knows what Zeps is? Uh, now we're going to define it for you, right? Remit? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say, I mean, it feels like just bad SEO on my on their part, though, really. Like, uh, if you're going to go, if you're going to name a thing, you want to put two ones at the front of your name so you appear at the front <laughs> of every list. Like, they've done it reverse alphabetical order rather than, like, wanting to be at the top of it. But uh, but maybe that's just me. You know, that, that might just be me. But... Uh, all right. Well, I mean, as this one uh, goes, and, and as you say, we're going to see more and more of that consolidation, particularly in that that market. We'll we'll definitely be coming back to this in future shows to uh, to really have, see how this one plays out. Um, okay. So there's been a few stories that we didn't get the chance to to kind of cover, uh, as there always is. There's just so much happening in fintech every week, uh, and at this part of the show, we really want to try and cover a, a few of those things and and get us going. So. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're kicking us off with the first one. Have you uh, are you all good? You ready to go? This is the the quick fire round. I'm ready to go. Let's bring it on. All right, uh, over to you for the first one then. All right. Socially conscious fintech aspiration to go public via SPAC merger. Aspiration, the socially conscious U.S. neobank focused on helping customers go green, is set to go public in a 2.3 billion merger with Interprivate Three Financial Partners Inc. Aspiration offers a host of banking services, credit cards, and investment products that help customers keep their deposits out of fossil fuels, automatically plant trees with every purchase, and track business and personal planet and people impact scores so that they can shop with conscious. I think we had talked about this earlier in the sense that um, there are these communities um, and micro communities that are really focused on um, specific areas. Obviously, there's a green slant with Aspiration. I think this is really targeting that and providing an avenue by which this community could actually get banking services that have a social aim to it and a green aim to it that they can focus with rather than other card products and services that may not be aligned to their their values and outcomes. So I think this is where the market's going. It's another community. And I think it's a great thing that that specifically targets people who are very interested in that outcome. 
Very good. All right. The next story that we had was Balance raises $25 million in Series A funding. So Balance, the payments experience platform for B2B e-commerce, announced it has raised $25 million in a Series A led by Rivet Capital. Uh, there's a bunch of other investors in this one ranging from uh, early employees from Square and Plaid and Coinbase. Feels like they're getting some super interesting backing in this one. Uh, Bargurin, who is the uh, founder and CEO, said, our goal is to facilitate an, an amazing transaction experience for businesses and suppliers, making it a no-brainer for every B2B business to start selling online. Um, this super interesting. Again, you know, another uh, sign, you know, Series A getting 25 mil to really get going. Ribbit don't usually back things that don't work out. Uh, I'm told by producer Arena actually on this one that if you tune into the show that we're doing on the 2nd of September uh, over on the 11FS YouTube channel, you'll hear from Barr himself to talk a little bit about more about this one and what Balance are actually up to. Over to you, Pierre. Excellent. African fintech Opay valued at $2 billion after a $400 million raise. Opay raised $400 million in new financing led by SoftBank Vision Fund 2, valuing the company at $2 billion. The round marks the fund's first investment in an African startup. I think ultimately here, this is about providing services to the emerging markets and also underbanked um, and underserved users across Africa, specifically in this case, Nigeria. But what we're seeing here is inclusion, right? The ability as um, devices become more pervasive in markets, um, more people are using their smartphones, digital access in different regions and, and underserved communities are being more pervasive. This will allow customers to pay bills, um, receive money, um, and transact via their network. So this exponential growth you're seeing is probably driven from my perspective around that growth in these markets that are going to be critical in Africa for growth in, in the region. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to that point, as we were saying earlier on, around underserved, right? You know, it's uh, finding those markets and being able to really tap in. There's huge opportunities in that space. So, uh, uh, all right. Well, um, we're going to have to close out the show now, uh, but it's, in, as time old on a tradition, the, uh, the Anne Finally show. So uh, this was quite an interesting one uh, that was covered in a lot of different places, but uh, predominantly uh, we picked it up over on AltFi. Uh, Hargreaves Lansdown created confusion with ad campaigns citing Monzo IPO that Monzo haven't actually announced themselves, which is also quite uh, quite interesting. So over the weekend, investment platform Hargreaves Lansdowne ran an Instagram ad encouraging people to sign up for alerts for the Monzo IPO. Uh, the advert left people a little bit confused and some putting it down to investment platforms simply trying to get clicks and new customers to sign up without actually having any solid information to go on. Monzo social media platform Richard Cook described the ad as a little bit odd and confusing. Uh, we saw them running ads similar on Twitter last week and asked them to maybe stop uh, and that they'd be hearing from us if there was anything in the first case that happened on this one. Hargreaves Lansdowne said the ad was based on speculation over the last few months about whether or not Monzo would make a stock market debut anytime soon. So Hargreaves Lansdowne doesn't know something that we don't. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, where does brand infringement start sort of going into this one because essentially using Monzo as a you know a push for getting people to sign up to your account for something that may or may not happen in the future maybe it just that seems like quite a um a spurious chain of events essentially but I was uh, I went and asked actually uh, Naz our CRO on this one to say look is this something that somebody could get sued for uh, and he what his his view was pretty much if there isn't a loss then actually you know, there's probably not something that anybody could really claim for so there's probably nothing 
to stop Hargreaves Lansdowne or anybody else running those types of ads, uh, so long as there is something that's been mentioned in the market that actually leads to this type of speculation. But, I mean, John, it feels like a bit of an odd one, doesn't it? It's sort of piggybacking on somebody else's brands to try and get somebody to sign up to your product. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so it, it's not uncommon. Uh, and and to be quite frank, like sign up for alerts on the Monzo IPO. Granted, you could read it as because it says the Monzo IPO that this thing is coming, um, but it, that's it doesn't say like Monzo IPO next week. Sign up for alerts. Like it's yeah. There's no there's no real. Uh, they're basically promising you can sign up for alerts. Uh, I, I see this as like marketing maybe not the best marketing whenever you borrow somebody else's brand. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that you should spend your own time talking about somebody else necessarily, but you know, hell we're talking about it guys. I mean, <laughs> and Monzo, I mean, you know, if I was sitting in Monzo's, I mean, here, here's my, here's my uh, plea to Hargraves next time say nerve IPO. I mean, how bad is that? Like, give me a break. Like, I mean, at least you got people talking about you and uh, and people are going, well, this guy's might actually IPO. I don't know. I, I, I don't see the harm in it. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's probably the most effective uh, marketing, but hell, it's got us talking. So maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, it's not the not the first time that uh, you know Monzo or any you know big organizations, as you say, are, are being used to to sort of do uses a bit of a trojan for those things. But uh, but maybe Monzo should just see it as a sign of flattery, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're in the you're in the consciousness enough where somebody you know a, a, an organization is going to use your name to attract buyers. That's uh, that's interesting. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know. They, they obviously see it differently, but I, I I'd say let them let it go. Let it happen. Well, I'm going to dig around. Let's let's go and see if uh, if I can find out any information about whether Hargoose Lansdowne had a surge of uh, account opening, and if they did, well, it works, and I'm sure other people will copy it at that point. Uh, and on that note, we better wrap up the show because uh, I know we've all got places to be. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, all our guests. Where can people find out a little bit more about you and all the great stuff you guys are doing, Colin? Absolutely. We try to keep it easy like everything else. So if you want to try Ramp, just go to tryramp.com. You can see the news and you can check us out. Very good. Uh, John, where can people learn a bit more about what you're up to? Nerve.pro. So uh, so just go to Nerve.pro. And especially if you're a musician, DJ, songwriter, uh, particularly in the United States right now, uh, or you're related to one, or you have friends who are, send them to Nerve.pro, sign up for the wait list. Please. We launched September 15th. It'll be kind of a rolling launch. So uh, so join the wait list and we'll get you on board. Fantastic. Really, really great. And it's great to see what both of you guys are, are up to. I'll be watching it very closely. Uh, Pierre, where can people find you uh, best? Well, I think uh, 11fs.com. Right? That's the place to go. And our consulting services are there. And we look forward to helping companies out and really their transformation journey to change the fabric of financial services. Very good. Uh, as for me, I lurk mostly on LinkedIn these days, so you can probably find me over there. Uh, and thank you to all of you guys for, for listening. If you really want to join the, the conversation, head over to uh, pretty much every social media point at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Uh, if you want to drop us an email, feel free to do that as well. It's just podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.